Will you turn with me, please, in your Bible to Jonah chapter 1? Jonah chapter 1. I have page, David hates it when I do this, but I have page 774, if that helps you. Jonah's really short. It's only two pages, so it's easy to miss. One of the minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament, but a big uh, and very important message for us as we look. My name again is Stephen. I'm the pastor here, and we love Jesus, and we love people. Hey, Roy, did that video work? Okay, I'll tell you when. Um, we're going to do a few things today. We're going to talk about some things that are happening in our world. And we're going to look at Jonah. The reality is God has given us a great opportunity. He's given us a great opportunity in this age, in this time, as ambassadors for his life, ambassadors for his kingdom, ambassadors of his gospel. The Lord has given us an opportunity today, while the whole world is at unrest, to find the only rest, the only peace that's in God. Because our rest, our Sabbath, our shalom, all those kind of things, those words mean peace, they mean rest. Uh, they only come from God. And so we can strive and try. And in fact, our culture has warred against things like work because we don't want to work. We want to have vacations. And we believe that our best life, you've heard that kind of phrase before, our best life is actually lived in Barbados on some kind of beach. And if we could just sit on a beach and be hanging out and sipping ice cold Coca-Cola and watching the waves come in, that will be our best life. And the reality is God has called us to be workers in his kingdom, to be workers in his harvest because he is bringing in a harvest and because he is faithful. The Lord has gone before us. Imagine for me just a moment. How many times have we sung a song like this one about the church being ready for revival or we've prayed and asked the Lord for opportunity to do great things or we've, or we've said, Lord, use us. Use us for your glory because it's our heart's cry to be good workers in his kingdom. And then what does God do? He gives us an opportunity through his providential hand that he would allow for the church to be able to stand up and have the message of real peace with God and rest that looks like the gospel. The only message we have, Paul said it this way, we preach Christ and him crucified. The Lord Jesus himself came down. He died on our behalf to save us. What did he save us from? He didn't save us from work. He didn't save us from bad feelings. He didn't save us from having to go through difficult things. He saved us from the wrath of God against his enemies. And we are his enemies. The Bible tells us that the love of God is displayed, true love is displayed, in that God sent his own son to die for us while we were yet his enemies. And so those of us, all people, who were objects of wrath against God, who had sinned and fallen short of his glory, who had not held the standard of the creator. All of us were due the penalty of our sin. And God, in his wonderful mercy and wisdom and grace, at the right time, sent Jesus Christ, who died for us, that he would appease the wrath of God. And now we are saved from the wrath of God. And not only that, but his righteousness given to us, made ambassadors for him, brought up to be seated with him in heavenly places. We get to now rule and reign with Jesus Christ as we see the whole world transformed to look like his glory. What is that? It's discipleship. It's people looking like Christ. It's dealing with sin. It's speaking out the truth. It's proclaiming God's love, which is the gospel. And I'm telling you today, all you got to do is turn on the news. And you can see that the church in general has been so confused about what is the truth now. 
Have you noticed with me maybe that you can get different versions of truth by different channels or different social media or different whatever? You look at one thing and you get 15 different examples of what that can mean and then it's debated and there's so much gray area you don't even know what's going on anymore. That is diabolical, isn't it? And frustrating. It's not supposed to be that way. We're going to look at the book of Jonah because God's called us to a great time where there is a lot of darkness, a lot of gray, a lot of weird, a lot of mixture, a lot of messages being proclaimed everywhere. The Lord has given us an opportunity to stand on his gospel, proclaim his truth. And that truth is there is only peace. There is only life. There is only mercy through Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, and believing in him. That's the message. Um, one day, I, I, figure, I feel like someday you'll figure out that all of my sermons basically are the same. You know, every, every time. And if I meet you and, and somebody's sick, or if I meet you and, and your marriage is having struggles, or I meet you and there's a problem at work, it's always the gospel, isn't it? But here's the thing. It's never dull. You know why? Because he's alive. Because he lives, Jesus Christ is the down payment and the guarantee that his gospel changes everything. And every dead situation, marriage, life, relationships, business, whatever it is, his resurrection life is the answer. And coming to him who is the source, he's it. And right now, we're living in a time where the whole world is looking for solutions amongst dead people. And they need to know the life of Christ because his resurrection life is the solution. Now, working that out, Sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? Simple and difficult. We're going to look at Jonah to see what do we need to do. Uh, we're starting a series right now looking at where are we, the church, New Covenant Church, us specifically. Where are we in the world, in St. Louis? What are we standing up for, and how are we doing that? And so we've been talking about our church. We've been looking at what God has given us opportunity to do and how we can proclaim that same truth we just talked about. And we thought we would take a couple weeks going through Jonah to look at what is the state, forget the world or America for a moment, just in St. Louis, just in our city. What are we talking about? What's going on? What are the things happening? Because there's a lot of things going on right now, aren't there? Uh, there's COVID discussions. There's economic impact of COVID discussions, which are a whole separate thing. There's Black Lives Matter, huge massive thing. On top of that, election year, and there's all kind of discussions, and that makes everything, but that doesn't make it simple, does it? Because then you get competing messages from all over the place. So with all those things happening, we're, gonna, we're going to take a moment to look at where can we speak truth into things, and where are we vulnerable in our own proclamation that we would not be mixed, we wouldn't be trying to seek the truth among dead things, but instead we would go straight to Christ because the reality is, whether you are Republican or Democrat or Independent or Libertarian or whatever the options are now, whatever you are, we are representatives of Christ first. Before we are Americans, before we are anything, we belong to Jesus. He's our identity. He's our life. He's our politics. Our politics are the politics of the kingdom of God. They're not the politics that can divide us. And guess what? Look around. Do divide us all the time. So let's look at Jonah chapter 1, and let's start the story. It's a well-known story because it's such a great Sunday school story, isn't it? You get to make the fish, and we're not even going to get into that today, but it's so wonderful. 
I love the story of Jonah because it reveals God's evangelistic heart, even in the Old Testament, for the whole world and not just Jerusalem. And it's so incredible to see how God uses even stubborn people. I'm really thankful for that. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amadi, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fee and went aboard to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great mighty wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came down to him. What do you mean by this, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, you thought, will give thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where did you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Praise God for his word. Notice here in the very beginning, we have three times the word Tarshish mentioned. This city, the city of Tarshish was basically on the other end of where Nineveh is across the sea and is on the edge of the known world. And so at this time, Jonah, the prophet of God, who's heard the word of God come to him. What was the word he heard come to him? Go to Nineveh, cry out against it, for I have seen their great evil. That's, that's what he's been told. Now, he understands this because he's a prophet. What does a prophet do? A prophet is a person who's called by God. The word in Hebrew specifically means mouthpiece. They speak on God's account. He tells them things, and they say it. Now, there are false prophets who make up things, but a bona fide prophet is someone who hears the word of God and then speaks what God has said. Now, prophets have a specific role we see throughout the Old Testament, even into the New Testament. And generally speaking, uh, this is not exclusive all the time, but generally a good rule for you is you can tell a prophet not by somebody who, does, um, who knows miraculous things. So we tend to think of a prophet as somebody who receives this knowledge and they have special knowledge and they can wow you with it, kind of like a tarot card reader. They're going to know the future and they can tell you things. That's not the job of a prophet. The prophet only says what God says. And specifically, sometimes there is a future element, but they have a specific task. And that task is return the people to the covenant. Now, when I say covenant, I mean the relationship that God has with people, he calls his covenant. And he says, I'm establishing an agreement like a marriage. The, the marriage covenant is a great example. Uh, we still use that word today even. If you look on your, on your marriage license, it says marriage covenant, you know, city of St. Louis or whatever. 
And so a covenant is an agreement. It's a bond usually made in blood. It's a pact together. And it's like a treaty between two nations, which is a really good example for marriage, isn't it? There you go. So you get these, this pact that's made together, and God had said, I'm going to relate to you. I will be your God. You will be my people. Here's how I want you to live. And he gave the people of Israel the Ten Commandments and the law so that they would understand how to be distinct in the world, how to be set apart, and how to live his way. And he said, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you wander from that, bad things are going to happen. Not only that, but also you will be a shining light to the Gentiles, to all the people who are not Jewish, that they might come in and see what God is like and learn how to live his way. And that's really important. And so Israel itself, this nation, the Israelites, um, and I'm not talking about modern-day Israel, I mean the Israelites in the Old Testament, were designed to be a people who would know the covenant of God, of how to live with God, and they would have the example and testimony in their lives of what God had required and also be able to bring other people into that who could become Israelites. That's extremely important. Why is that important? It's important because the temple of God is in Jerusalem. What is the temple? It's the place where God dwells, right? And so at this time, we know it's different now in the New, Te in the New Covenant, which we'll talk about, but at this time, the place where you could go and be with God was one specific place, and it was the temple. That's where you could go meet with him. And what happened in the temple? A lot of sacrifices happened in the temple. Why? Because everybody was guilty before God. And to come before God's holiness and his power and his might meant that there had to be blood. And so sacrifices were made, and then the people could come into his presence, and they could learn how to live, and the priests would intercede for the people and teach them the law that they would know how to live. That was their function. And so here's Jonah, the prophet, and he's been called by God, speak these words, be my mouthpiece. And he says, okay, Lord, what's the message? And the message is, go to, he's thinking Jerusalem, right? He's thinking go to maybe Samaria, maybe, probably not. Somewhere around where the temple is. Because his function is, return them to the way I told you to live. Return them to the agreement of what I told you would be the way that we would function in our relationship together. You're wandering from it. And so he's expecting, go to Jerusalem, tell them right away. And instead says, God says, go to Nineveh, that great city. Now when it says great city, Nineveh was a three days journey across. It's a big city. It took you three days to walk across Nineveh. And God says, go to that great city. It is a big city. It's bigger than Jerusalem. It's big. Go there. I've seen the evils that they said. Cry out against it. And what does Jonah say? Pretty much he says nothing and just leaves. Right? And he decides, I will leave not only not only from my duty to do what God has told me, I'm going to leave his presence. Where is God's presence? It's in the temple, right? In the temple. It's, it's everywhere. Where can you escape God? You can't. But he's understanding, I will depart even. I'm going to leave my post. I quit. Here's my resignation. And you know what? I'll depart from you because I can't do what you told me to do. I'll even go to the ends of the earth away from where you are in the temple and where you call us to come back into right relationship through sacrifice and through all these things. 
So he puts in his mind to go to Tarshish. We know that's really a big deal and that he's set on it because it says it three times, just in two verses, that he's going to Tarshish. He goes down, he gets in a ship, he starts sailing, and the Lord is having none of it. The Lord says, nope, and he throws this great wind. Now the ship, these are seasoned mariners who are casting all their stuff off the side of the ship to try to lighten its load because they are in dire straits. At this point, they're in such dire straits that they are choosing whatever God might listen to them to cry out to all of them. And they come down to Jonah and say, cry out to your God. Who is your God? And so he tells them, my God is the Lord, the one who created the earth and the sea. Now they're really afraid. Really afraid. Because they know this is not going well. Especially if somebody tells you, and he told me, to go to Nineveh, but I decided to go with you guys to Tarshish. And you're like, you did what? So they're all crying out to God. Everyone's afraid. He's told them what he's doing, and we're going to go on with the story later of what happens to Jonah. We know he's eventually going to get thrown in the sea, and all kind of great things will happen. And it's a wonderful story, not because of Jonah. Jonah has a bad attitude to the whole thing. Through the entire four chapters, he has a bad attitude. But God's heart and God's dedication to his own mission and God's love for people is so incredible in the story. It, it's it's life-changing. It's, it's amazing. So Jonah is trying to run away from God. Does that work? No, it doesn't. Here's the problem. As soon as Jonah opens his mouth, even the mariners are fearful and immediately believe in his God. We're going to find even into the story later that they are so convinced that the God of heaven and earth that Jonah serves is God that they will abandon their other religions and start sacrificing to God right there on the boat. And what does Jonah say? Does he tell them anything about the covenant? Does he tell them anything about history? Nothing. He just says, I serve the Lord. And yet the Spirit of the Lord is doing such great work here in the tempest, in the midst of destruction and peril, in the midst of unsurety, in the midst of waves that might overtake them, maybe sound like today? What are we trying to convince the world with? Are we just representing Christ? Has God told us to go to Nineveh, and maybe instead we've tried to run to Tarshish? Has God said that we should cry out about things, and maybe instead we have turned our attention to other things? and become distracted? Are we so enamored with being Americans? I served, I, listened, I cried and fought and bled for this country. I love this country, but I love the people of the country. That's why I fought for it. That's why I was a soldier in its army back in the day, a long time ago, many pounds ago. But as much as we love our country, it's easy for us to supplant a love and dedication to what God is doing and his kingdom message instead for American ideals. We are kingdom citizens first, then we are Americans. And it's easy for us sometimes to start jumping in a ship to go to Tarshish in our ideology, in our thinking, in our proclamation, instead of going to Nineveh where God has called us. And so I'm asking you that question in your own thinking. Have you allowed yourself to be an American first? That's what Jonah has done. Why is he so upset to go to Nineveh? You know why he's upset to go to Nineveh? They're not Jews. Nineveh's not part of Israel. They're not Israelites. 
And so God is calling one of his mouthpieces, one of his proclaimers, one of his prophets to return people to the covenant of which, you ready? No covenant even exists. Other than he's the creator and he made them. And so what must they do? They need to know God. They need to repent. They need to come and be, basically become Israelites. And Jonah is so angry at that. He's so frustrated that God would bring a message of salvation to another people before his own that he's willing to go to the ends of the earth to avoid God's presence. He's willing to put in his resignation because I thought you would do it this way. And that's not God's agenda. Instead, God is going to cry out against this city for destruction, for the evils that they've done, but he's sending the mercy of this prophet first. And rather than warning the people, Jonah, ready for this, would rather see them burn. That's why he's gone away. What's the status of his heart? Does that sound like one of God's prophets? This guy got a book in the Bible. That's, does that sound like what you, oh, that's, what, that's a godly man there. The Lord had to send a tempest against his boat. Eventually, he will swallow him with a fish. It's pretty incredible. I'm going to show you a cartoon now uh, that's a little bit offensive, so bear with me because we're talking about real things. Okay? Everybody good? Everybody okay? Trust me, the Lord is with us. Roy, can we have our, our uh, thing here, please? This is a cartoon. It's a political cartoon. It says, how people of color view or see white evangelicals. There's a guy there, see, he looks like a priest. If you can't read it, I'm going to read it for you. It says, all lives matter. We must help them to catch our vision and join our work. Evangelicals have the only answer, and we must be ready to act. In the second frame, it says, we must give them the hope of a cause. If they have a purpose, they will pick themselves up and improve their lives. Later that day, you see this gentleman sitting down. There's some graffiti on the wall that says BLM, Black Lives Matter, we can't breathe, allies needed, all those kind of things. And he says, I have the answer, I must intervene. And then walking away with his hands folded, he says, it is finished. And what has he done? He's changed all of the, all of the slogans to Trumpisms. To support President Trump, to support the Republican Party, make America great again instead of Black Lives Matter. The guy is sitting on the ground wearing a hat, even, that he's put on his head. How does this make you feel? Well, it's not demonstrating a seriousness of understanding the problem. Yeah. Michael Barron is saying it doesn't demonstrate, for, for the camera, Michael Barron is saying it doesn't demonstrate the the truth of the whole situation, which is true. Yeah, Judy. He's acting very superior. Very superior, yeah. Yeah, he has an arrogant, I have the answer, and you better listen. Let me ask you this question. Is this true? In some, now, what is, the, what is the title of the cartoon? 
how people of color see white evangelicals. And I'm telling you, I've asked around. This is pretty true. It's very true. I would know the, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, instead of really addressing the issue, just kind of circling around it. Yeah. You know, and offering what he thinks of as a form of solution, but yeah. I question very strongly whether mm -hmm. the black people would feel like that's really addressing their needs and issues. Yeah. Is this, so this guy is, he's a priest, obviously, of this collar, right? Is he representing Christ? What's, who's he representing? President Trump, maybe? Right? Because it's an election year? His own, his, own his own beliefs. Now, politically, you may agree with this or disagree with this, whatever. But here's the problem. We're kingdom citizens. We're not Republicans. We're not Democrats. We're kingdom citizens. Regardless of color, regardless of whatever, we're kingdom citizens. And in our city right now, again, yes, United States, yes, Missouri, but in St. Louis, there are the effects of segregation and brokenness. There are horrible things that have happened. There are people crying out for justice. There is Black Lives Matter as a movement, which is different than the organization, right? There's a movement, Black Lives Matter, saying Black Lives Matter. Then there's an organization that's a political entity says Black Lives Matter, and they have a very different agenda. I get you. We have to separate those a little bit. But in the movement, Black Lives Matter. If Christians come up, priests come up, if we come up and tout President Trump as the answer, are we representing Christ? Especially as his ambassadors, because that's how he's coming. He's not coming with a political identity saying, hey, I want you to vote. Can I convince you? That's coming. Guess what? They're about to start. I don't know what they're going to do with COVID. I don't know if they'll knock on doors like usual. But those people who are about to start the grassroots stuff, that's going to happen because it's an election year. But this is not a political thing. This is somebody who's coming in the name, at least the guys of Christ. But the answer that he has, the proclamation that he has, is not the gospel. And I'm telling you this because this is how most people of color in our country see us. And I'm saying that to the majority of this church is white evangelicals. And it's dangerous. Why can I say that? I can say that because a lot of white evangelicals voted for President Trump in 2016. A lot. And when crisis happened, you saw on the news how a bunch of, of church leaders gather around President Trump and start praying for him, right? Now, is President Trump the Lord's messenger? No. Can we say providentially that God put President Trump in office? Yes. Does God oversee all nations? Absolutely. Should we pray for our leaders, whoever they are? Absolutely. Are we praying for righteousness and peace and joy? Absolutely. Is our answer any one person other than Jesus? No. It's not. And if we want to see change in our city, we have to break this. We have to break this. Because if we're talking to people of color, and I'm saying this to a white majority in the church, if we're talking to people of color and they're expecting this, and we walk down a political line with them, we've already shot ourselves in the foot. If our idea is, I want to disciple you, I want to teach you, I want to show you what it means to be an American, we've already lost the fight. Instead, we want to teach, we want to disciple, we want to show people what it means to know Jesus, to walk with Him, to know peace in your life, to know righteousness in your life. If you bow the knee to Him, you will know 
what it means to be at peace with your creator, to have joy in your life, you will know what it means to be given his Holy Spirit and made into a new creation. What is the gospel? The gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ crucified, raised. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That's it. That's it. And then we vote wisely. Right? I'm not telling you to vote Democrat. I'm not telling you to vote Republican. I'm saying we vote wisely based on the principles of the Lord's word. And we do that, but we also engage the world with the message of Christ and not the message of any political person. Do you see the difference there? Why do you think I'm telling you this? Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, we have to vote wisely. But also, God has called us to proclaim his word. Did you know that you might not be a prophet? Maybe you are. I don't know. For sure. Some of you I know. But God has called us to be a royal priesthood. God has called us to be priests of his kingliness, of his kingdom, of his gospel, of his way. And what do priests do? They bring people to God. Now, if Jonah had been able to go actually to Nineveh and just speak to them, the only way that they could know repentance is to turn from their evil and their sin, and it doesn't even describe to us exactly what was going on there, but bad things were happening. But what's the only way they can actually be right with God? There's only one way in this time. Come to the temple, make sacrifices, be part of God's people, enter into the covenant. There's only one way for people, all humanity, all people, to be right with God. How is that? Come to Jesus. Through his sacrifice, he is the temple. Come to him. He is the place of meeting with God for all people. And come to him, and through his death, and through his resurrection, submit your life to God. Submit to Jesus. No freedom from the wrath of God because he paid the penalty, but stand in his righteousness now so that now as a new creation in Christ, as a priest, you can speak his word, you can be close to him, and you can do his work. And there's one sacrifice forever done, which was he himself, Jesus Christ. And now through him, we're changed and we rise up and we have the same kind of message in that there's only one way to come to God. It's through the covenant, through him. You've got to come his way. And that covenant, that kingly rule of the Lord Jesus Christ, negates political affiliation. It negates the, co the color of your skin. It negates the righteousness by which you think you've lived. And the only standard by which all of us come are the standard of either being in Christ and saved by him and his sacrifice, or not. That's it. And so now in Christ we have one message, and it's the Lord Jesus, it's His kingliness, it's His rule, it's His grace, it's His peace, it's His gospel. And we can't mix that. Now if you work for President Trump's administration, God bless you, I will pray for you. I will, I will, because we want to see godliness in our nation, right? If you work for another organization, whoever it may be, opponent, that's running, then God bless you, I will pray for you because we want to see righteousness in our nation. Does that make sense? Sometimes there are better candidates to vote for. Sometimes you're like, Lord, I, help us. 
help us. What would change everything? It's the Lord, right? If President Trump, I don't, I don't know, guys. I don't know if he's a believer or not. Probably not, based on how he's doing things. But if he had a relationship with God, if our, all our Supreme Justices did, if all our senators, all our congresspeople, all our mayors, all our aldermen loved God and sought to see things the way he sees things and love people and didn't have Jonah attitudes, because at the end of the day, everybody's got a Jonah attitude. I want the blessings for my people defined as whoever and not for those people. And the problem is we can come before people with arguments and with thoughts that are so political in nature that they're divisive right from the beginning instead of proclaiming the word of Christ. Is there a place for political discussions? Absolutely. Absolutely. But our politics start first with being kingdom citizens, don't they? That's the first place they start. And our message gets muddled. If we try to proclaim Jesus as king and Trump as his messenger, or Jesus is king and Biden is his messenger, or whatever. Instead, we can look at things like Black Lives Matter, and instead of shouting out, well, all lives matter, it's it doesn't help. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't help. Do you know why? It's true, and we all know it's true, all lives matter. The problem is, it takes away from the discussion. The discussion of what has happened in St. Louis. Let's look around and say, Lord, help us to know justice. Lord, help us to be good disciplers. Lord, help us to have a heart like you have a heart and not to run away to neighborhoods that we think are safe. But instead, Lord, if you send us to Nineveh, let us go to Nineveh with passion, with your gospel to see change happen. Because the reality is we have neighborhoods in St. Louis that none of us would go to have lunch in right now. None of us. We wouldn't go there, and we know it. And they need Jesus. And if we're not going to go there even for lunch, then who's telling them the word? And if they believe that every evangelical they meet is going to just give them a Trump hat, we're in trouble already, aren't we? So what do we do? We pray, Lord, help us. Look at my own heart. Help me not to be such a political animal that I miss out on being a priest for you. Number one. Number two, Lord, give me opportunity that the people I meet, and start with the people we know. Listen, I am praying actively, and I hope you are too, that God gives us entries into, somehow, in a good way, the neighborhoods that are not safe to go to. Wouldn't that be great? And he provides for us and protects us? I'm going to spoil the story for you. Jonah, with a stinky attitude, walks into Nineveh and says, God is going to judge you. And within a day, the whole city is sitting in sackcloth and mourning and fasting, crying out for God's mercy. Did, did Jonah do that? <laughs> no. The Spirit of God went before him. What will happen if the Spirit of God goes before us? Into every neighborhood. Starting in the neighborhoods we live in, but every neighborhood in St. Louis and beyond. But you know what that sounds like? It sounds like the gospel. And I'm saying this to us, and I'm being semi-political in this whole discussion because it's easy for us to run to Tarshish. Run to Tarshish with ideology and thought and discussion and not stay where God's called us to be and go to Nineveh and speak the truth of what God said to say. And instead, we get so distracted by trying to change the discussion to Nineveh 
or to Tarshish, that we're not being faithful to what God's called us to. We got to be faithful to what God's called us to. And if we really believe that he's given us an opportunity today to do something for his kingdom, then we need to be ready to proclaim and tell people about Jesus and not let the election year cycle break us down into divisiveness and lose the opportunity. Because what will it be like if a year from now we've done nothing? Wouldn't that be a shame? It would be. But God, by his grace, has called us. Paul said this, he's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation of all who believe, first for the Jew and also for the Greek. And so now we can say, those of us who know the covenant, who know God's kingdom favor, we can say the Lord has given us the gospel. We're not ashamed to proclaim that as the message of the church. That his gospel, his resurrection, his life is the answer. He is the solution. And then from his righteousness, we make policy, we change neighborhoods, we disciple everybody, we see God's grace move amongst all places, we eradicate violence. How great would that be? No segregation. We break down the racism dividing lines. We take the effects of things that for generations have held black people back and say, Lord, bring your solution. Right? That would be better, wouldn't it? But is that based in political motif or is that based on the politics of the kingdom of God? It's his politics. It's his way. I'm saying that to us because we live in a time where we are isolated now because of coronavirus. And we're online and we're either gaining or losing friends. You gain friends that think just like you, who like every post. And you lose everybody who thinks different. And who are the people that need Jesus most? They're the people outside, right? We're going to miss our opportunity. If we don't stand up now, pray for a heart to be like God, and then speak the truth in love. And then we can have political discussions. I like politics. Let's talk about it all day. It would be great. But let's not just talk about it. Let's, let's pray and let's see God change our city to look like righteousness. Wouldn't that be better? So... We're going to start a study on Jonah, and we're going to look at some of these principles. Uh, it's going to be like this for a while, to help train us. How do we use the moment? How do we think? How do we talk well? Um, I don't have all the solutions. I'll be honest with you. I'm trusting like Jonah, like the book of Jonah, that the Spirit of God will go ahead of us, that the Lord will send a tempest, that everybody who sees it would say, your God is God, and just know by his power and not by fancy rhetoric that his kingdom r rules. And I'm praying that for all of us, that the Lord will show up with power at every conversation we have so that everybody we meet will say, tell me, tell me about your God. Tell me about your life. I need to know. What's your secret? What's going on? What's happening? I don't understand. And then those conversations, well, aren't they great? You know, we've said that a lot before, that people will just see the way we live, and then they're going to come and ask you and say, like, wow, what makes you different? How many of us has that really happened to? few here and there. The reality, though, is if we don't open our mouth and say the word and proclaim the name of Jesus, no one will know. They won't know. And they're not going to just come to you magically and say, hey, tell me about your life. It doesn't happen that way. Instead, we got to tell people the righteousness, the peace, the joy, the way, the truth, the life. It's him. It's only and always been him. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for a great people. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be your people, to know you and to serve you. 
Thank you, Lord, that you've given us life in yourself. Lord, that you have made us yours. I pray, Father, that our hearts would be softened, God, to see you and your gospel and your reign and your peace, Lord, above even our own American ideals. Father, where there are any politics in us or any political feelings or thoughts we have that don't align with your kingdom, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would eradicate those from us. That instead, we would be people who proclaim Jesus in all things. Lord, make us wise in our voting. Make us wise in our thoughts and policies. Lord, that we wouldn't try to tout any people other than Jesus Christ as the solution for our world. And Lord, we pray for our leaders now in the name of Jesus, regardless of, of party, regardless of thoughts. Lord, save them, God. Lord, save them. Let them bow the knee to you. Lord, change them. Fill them with righteousness. Lord, let them see laws in a new way through your eyes, God. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus for St. Louis, God. Lord, for the segregation and brokenness in our own city, we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, end racism here. Father, let the church stand up as one body, black, white, Indian, Chinese, whatever, everything. Lord, that from every culture, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, Lord, the, the worship of Jesus would exude from this city. Lord, help the city to be a testimony of it so that we don't drive down to certain cities, certain city areas and see the, the destruction of drugs and the destruction of violence, but instead everywhere we go we see the mercy, the grace, and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ as your church stands up to be who she's meant to be, to be a ruler on the earth with you. Lord, through our prayer we pray in Jesus' name, God, use us. Lord, help us to make a difference here so that we can see you glorified in Jesus' name. We're going to come to the table now. If you know that there's any stuff in you where you've been in Tarshish and you don't want to go to Nineveh, maybe that means that you, have, uh, that you know you've sinned and you don't want to deal with it in God. Maybe you know that you have uh, had opportunities to proclaim things and you have been more of a Republican or more of a Democrat or more of an Independent than you've been a Christian. Let's take just a moment. We're going to ask the Lord for forgiveness. And then we're going to receive the elements together. If you don't have one of our little cups that we're using, they're on the little back table right there. We'd love for you to have one. If you open the little top lid thing, cellophane, there's a little wafer in there. Let's just take a moment and examine ourselves, and then we'll pray, and we'll receive the elements. Let's examine ourselves now. Thank you, Lord. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you see our hearts. Lord, you said that this meal was for all believers, and so we come before you, God, as those who belong to you, as those who have submitted our lives to you. Lord, forgive us of unrighteousness. Cleanse us according to your word, because your word says, if we confess our sins to you, you will cleanse us of all unrighteousness, because you are faithful and just. So, Father, because of your faithfulness and your justice, we ask you, Lord, cleanse us now. Help us to serve you well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, he broke it. He said that this was his body, which was broken for us, that we should do this in remembrance of him. Let's partake of the bread together.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying that this was the cup of the new covenant in his blood, that we should do this in remembrance of him. Let's partake of the cup. The Lord is with you. He changes our hearts and minds. Be convinced about his kingdom. And let his word proclaim from your mouth. Let's stand and worship the Lord together.